Hey, everyone. Good to see you all this afternoon. Uh, my, uh, my brother Adam, um, I call him a brother because we're just about look like each other, and um, <laughs> we, it's been fun hanging with him the last few days on the Gold Coast. If you've never been up to the Gold Coast, it's fairly impressive. You should get around there maybe at some point in life, but if you do, you're going to go to heaven one day, and it might be a rerun, so you just can... I don't know. It's kind of amazing up there. So, um, yeah, um, it's been amazing being here. And this is my first time in your country, and it's been it's been really good. Went to Sydney first, and uh, man, gosh, there is a quite a rivalry between Gold Coast and Sydney. Like every time I turn around, someone's kind of like, "Well, you know, you have to go up there to the Gold Coast, but this is really where it happens." And then you're in the Gold Coast, and they're like. Bless your heart. Sorry you had to start off in Sydney. You're like, gosh. <laughs> anyway, but so far I've had a great time. Um, I actually have a friend in Seattle that is, is from Adelaide. His name is Ryan Williams. He's a pastor at a church up in Everett. And so that's pretty cool. Um, so that was actually my first introduction ever to, uh, or Radelaide, what, yeah, um, was, was, was Ryan. And he says there's a fantastic Euro shop around the corner here that I need to hit. So um, yeah, it's nice to be with you, uh, I, I, and yeah, I'm going to talk uh, in this session on uh, engaging culture, uh, and then tonight we'll do some stuff on missional innovation, and so those are the two things that I was asked to, to speak on, and so what I thought I would do is begin by just telling uh, a bit about the, the, the church plant story that, that I've been asked to share in several places, kind of how, how I planted a church, and then, um, and then we'll do some stuff um, out of the Bible, since that's important. So yeah, because that's what we're about. All right, so um, why am I look at my notes? I know my story. Okay, so, <laughs> but I am starting to hit the end of two weeks. Yeah, you understand for those that have made the trek across. Um, so yeah, I was born and raised in Woodstock, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes north of downtown Atlanta. It's, it was really, now it's um, a booming place that uh, is in the top 50 places, most desired places to live in the United States. But when I grew up there, uh, it was most certainly not. It was a little bitty farm town. Uh, we had a Walmart and a, and a Dairy Queen, which is an ice cream shop. That's, that's, about, that's about all we had. Um, so now if you look up Woodstock, like, wow, that's really amazing. It, it wasn't, trust me. Um, just gals and stuff. All right, so, but that's where I, I grew up. Um, I grew up in the church. I, I don't have um, this, this, wow, man, this guy was like on crack and, you know, kind of conversion experience. I, I grew up in the church, like as a kid in the, sorry. Uh, I, grew up as a, I grew up as a kid in the church. Um, my mom played the piano. And my dad served in the church some. He was a businessman. He worked at Georgia Power and also Coca-Cola. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was pretty much, pretty simple upbringing. Played a lot of soccer, uh, skateboarded a bunch. That was, those were the sports that I, that I was into. And uh, yes, for those that object, skateboarding is a sport. It's in the Olympics. So, all right. Um, and um, I, around the age of 15, um, Jesus saved me. Um, it was just, it was ju- but not before I tried out a few sins to make sure that the gospel would be necessary and then proved, in fact, it was necessary to have. So I tried my hand at plenty, um, had, some, had a hard go in school, uh, was getting a lot of time in alternative school and things like that, and was having a, a rough go. And then um, 
started dating a girl that, ha- that went to the church that uh, my family was a part of, and so I was, I'd go a little more often than normal uh, to, to see her, and we had a youth pastor there that came in and started really, really proclaiming the gospel in a way that I got it, and really understood, oh my gosh, this, this might, there might actually be something to this, that I'm not just part of the Bible Belt subculture religion, but rather, uh, there might actually be some merit in all this Bible stuff, this Jesus stuff, isn't just a cultural thing, it's a, it changes you thing. And so, uh, over a period of time of coming and listening to our youth pastor talk about this Jesus, and he spent time with us regularly, taking us to ball games and stuff, um, one evening, I heard a song that quoted John 3.16, a verse I'd heard my entire life, and standing there, listening to this band quote John 3.16, Jesus saved me. It was just, and it, and it was pretty dramatic in the sense that it was a drastic change from April 11th to April 12th, I became two different people. Uh, it felt like, like it literally, like a new Spirit, a new nature was given to me, and, and, and I met Jesus. So about 90 days later, I knew I sensed God calling me into the ministry, uh, but I didn't know exactly what that would look like. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church in Georgia, where we, our church, uh, I saw it grow from about 115 people or 150 people, somewhere to, to 12, 13, 14,000 people as, uh, through, as, a, as a kid coming up. I watched our church just explode right in front of me, and we saw... Hundreds and thousands of people saved and baptized and watched. I saw every Sunday night, I'd see people being lined up and sent out across the, the world. It was just normal to go on world mission trips, yeah, where these people are moving to Tanzania and these people are moving to India and these people. And I thought that was just normal, just to see that every week in church. Like, oh, yeah, here we go. 25 minutes of baptisms and. Another 10 minutes of sending all these families off to the point where it was like, I guess that's normal. And then, and then I found out later, it's like, oh, I was a part of a revival. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Some of us are a little thick. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so I thought when God was calling me into the ministry, I thought, well, maybe I'll end up on the foreign mission field because that's what they do every week around here. I thought maybe I'll end up on the foreign mission field. But what I found out and discovered over the last uh, 20 years I met Jesus 20 years ago last month. Uh, over the last 20 years, he wasn't really just calling me to just move and be a foreign missionary as much as he was building a, a missional heart within me um, for, for, for whoever I'm around. And so, um, so yeah, so fast forward a bit more. Um, I, I went to university, got out of high school. Uh, my, my high school principal actually became a Christian uh, at my graduation, she went and found my youth pastor and was like, I used to send him to alternative school. I watched him the last two years. I want what he's got, <laughs> which was really funny. So it's like, oh, so you want to be like me. That's exactly right. And so it's like, um, but anyway, uh, got out of high school. I say got out because it really wasn't much of a graduation. I really hadn't put much in. So I got out, got out of high school. Uh, and, and, went to, and went to college, went to North Greenville University in South Carolina, started a degree in, in biblical studies there. Uh, I was about 19, uh, met my wife at a punk rock show in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, she was dating a guy in a band, a terrible band called Amberlynn, and I just kind of had to annoy her until she broke up with him, and I did that. I stayed persistent in that 
for a year, and she broke up with him, and then we got together, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, went through college, got married right out of college. Um, yeah, so that's so far so good. Uh, then, and then Jesus really started messing with life. Um, I got out of college and started uh, my Master's of Divinity. I thought I was going to maybe end up at this point, I thought maybe I'll be a, a theology teacher. Uh, I really, really enjoyed my experience in university and, 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 and fell in love with theology. And so I thought that's what, that's what I'm going to do. So I was pursuing a master's degree and I was working at a church as an intern. So for those of you who know what a church intern is, it's just the catch-all junk drawer. You do everything that we don't want to do. It's like, oh, where's Alex? That was it. So that was my job. Um, and, and it was fine. It worked out okay. They gave me a flat to live in for being the church grunt work. And, um, and then I also had a second job working at a catfish restaurant, which means I smelled wonderful all the time coming home to my wife for our first year of marriage, like, hey, babe, I'm home. She's like, gosh, I really used to like you, but now you smell like catfish all the time. Um, and so we, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I'm still scattered. <laughs> uh, so we're, I'm serving the church, and I'm close to finishing my master's degree, the, the MDiv, and I went over to Oxford University to do some historical Jesus research and finish up a, a specialization. And as I was uh, over in Oxford, I was out back behind Wycliffe Hall one afternoon, I was reading through Matthew's Gospel, and came across that line where it says, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that line in particular, I, I know you've probably had this experience at some point in your faith where the Bible, it literally, we know it's living and active, it's sharpening to it. We know God, we, we, it literally, that line jumped off the page, right through my mind, right down in my heart. And I sensed right then and there, everything's about to change. And I don't know what that means. Jesus is a friend of sinners, absolutely, absolutely undid me. I came home, started talking to my wife, going, hey, babe, um, I, I don't know what this friend of sinners thing is, but I'm, I'm, some, it's bothering me. It's called conviction. It's, so she's like, well, let's talk about that. And so over, so over the next couple of days, I started going, Lord, where do you want me to befriend people that don't know you? We started going through our phones, our calendars, looking at everything, going, all of our friends, every one of our friends were Christians, all of them. Uh, and like we we knew who non Christians were. I guess you could say the acquaintances across the hall of our apartment complex. We knew, but we didn't know them. They weren't really our friends. We didn't hang out. We didn't. They didn't know any really anything about us. We didn't really know anything about everyone in our life was in church. Everyone in our life was in a Bible study, a small group. Everybody we knew was a Christian and on their way to heaven. And we so going, something's got to change. There's something really wrong with this because I keep going through this book called the Bible going, that doesn't seem to be the thing Jesus is into at all. He's not into you going to church all the time and Bible study all the time. Like, yes, he is. Yes, Jesus loves church and Bible study. Well, sure he does, but he also loves the world. (laughs) And he intends on more people meeting him. So, right, so... Deeply convicted about this. And I went to, to my pastor at the time and said, hey, I feel like I want to start hanging around people that are far from church world. And um, 
Definitely far from God. So he's like, well, what do you, what do you propose? I was like, well, there's a, there's a, a bar down the street here. Um, can I go there and start maybe befriending people? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's just no. <laughs> I was like, oh, and he's like, can't you just meet people in Starbucks? I was like, mm, one, no, I don't want to go to Starbucks for their coffee. But then two, really, it was n- no. And in, in Starbucks, people aren't there to meet strangers and make friends and talk to people. They're there with their earbuds in, and they're working on their laptops, or they're meeting with one of their friends, and that's it. It's, if you walk over to a table in Starbucks, it's like, yeah, can I help you, man? What? This is not the environment for that. Pub, public house, maybe, maybe I could meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus in there. That was the aim. He's like, yeah, no. That's not going to look good uh, with you being around the church, too. So, no. And I was like, well, I quit. <laughs> so, so I quit my job. Uh, well calculated. So quit my job, went and got a job as a substitute teacher, in which I reaped everything I sowed as a kid. And so you know what a substitute teacher is. It's just, I didn't teach anything. It's so funny. They call you a substitute teacher. It's like... I'm not here to teach. I'm here to hand out busy work and make sure you don't kill each other or kill me or whatever. So that was it. So I was a substitute teacher, and I got a job at the bar as a bar back, which means my job was to clean out, just clean inventory, change out kegs, things like that, work the door when there's big bands coming through and that kind of stuff. That, that was my job. Um, and what I found was night after night, working in that bar, Uh, I started meeting people, lo and behold, that didn't go to church and didn't know Jesus. And in fact, in the Bible Belt, the people are in the bar because they've already been to church. True story. Everyone in the Bible Belt has heard something about Jesus in the church and gone, nope, nope, not interested. That's why we're over here enjoying ourselves because you people seem cranky with a lot of rules. That's, that's the neighborhood I was in, um, truly. So night after night, I got to talking to people, making friends, having conversations. And here's what's weird, is in hanging out in that environment, uh, there was, I mean, you know, tons of sexual promise. I mean, it was just uh, the owner of the bar, uh, lesbian. This was the place in our city where all uh, anybody of any other orientation could hang out, and it was just normal. It was just that was the place. So that's where I was, and it was weird because night after night I would answer questions because I wasn't like everyone else in the bar, and there were straight people in the bar too. Trust me, it's just I didn't look at porn. Like when they'd be like, "Dude, check this out." I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to see that. Or a girl starts flirting with you, and be like, I- I'm not interested. Be like, dude, you've only been married a year. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So it was this weird, like, yeah, I-, I know, I know. Like, do you not see her? She's hot. Like, yeah, I see. I get it. I don't want her. I have a wife. This is, this is. This. So just literally being, being the salt of the earth, just like totally, like, hmm, you're different to us. But at the same time, it wasn't, and you guys are a bunch of rotten sinners in this. Like, it didn't come back with that. It was more like, yeah, no, that's not me. 
And yet at the same time, we could talk and joke about all kinds of other stuff. So it would be really awkward, strange moments of, yeah, I don't fit in. And then there'd be great moments of really resonating and connecting and laughing with people and sharing stories in life and so on. So it was one of, it was like that. And what I found was that all the stuff I'd been studying in seminary is actually applicable with people who don't know Jesus. I know, revolutionary. Hence, like, all the apologetics books are so great when you're talking to people who actually object to the faith. And you're like, oh. See, I was under the impression that you study apologetics in Christian circles and you talk and prove to each other that God exists, though, though everyone in the circle is already convinced of the ontological, the teleological, the cosmological, and the epistemological arguments for the existence of God. But that's what we do. We, we hang out in this little circle, and we prove to one another, if you ever get asked this, then you know, hey, hey if, you, if, if, you ever, if you ever meet a Muslim that says this, I, you come back with that. And, and if a Jehovah's Witness... Oh, not on our team, but man, they have our book or the Mormons. Yeah, when they show up, now we know how to defend our little. But if you're doing this in just a little circle, that's not what apologetics are for. It's actually for defending the faith in case you might have the unction or desire to be around someone that doesn't think like you, that doesn't believe like you, that doesn't worship like you, that isn't convicted like you, that doesn't. You got to put yourself in that place in order to actually use this stuff. And lo and behold, I was like, man, this stuff is amazing. So glad I've been in seminary. <laughs> yeah. And so night after night, conversations like that started happening. And they, were, they weren't the most, <laughs> they weren't the most uh, like profound conversations, some of them. Like one in particular, my friend Ivy came in about 1.30 a.m. We close at 2 a.m. So he comes in at 1.30 a.m., and I'm behind the bar and doing something, and he's like, hey, uh, Alex, I got a question. I was like, okay, and his girlfriend's with him. He goes, we were in the garden today in the backyard, um, and uh, we found this turtle. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> all right? And, uh, and he's like, we were out there all day just kind of, looking at this turtle. I was like, did you smoke weed today? <laughs> Ivy, why are we ha- what, what's going on? He's like, no, 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 we didn't. Not today. Like, so <laughs> my, these are my friends. All right. So um, he goes, but here's the deal. I'm not, a, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all that stuff. He goes, but we were just stumped today. We found this turtle and we're looking at the bottom, the back of this turtle shell and we're going, it just looks like somebody made this. I'm like, that's because somebody made it. He's <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> like, he's like, it's like one of those, like, and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that, for the apologetics guys, that's called the teleological argument for the existence of God. Yeah, well, there's a creator that created that. There was design that went into that. And he's like, man, that's crazy. Next question, he goes, so am I going to hell? I was like, hey, you're like a terrible atheist, Ivy. It's like, but like, I was like, dude, why are you asking about hell? You ain't believe in God. He's like, well, it was like that. I was like, so you just made this jump from atheist. You skipped 
agnostic, went right on into theism, but not just theism, Christian theism, and you're talking about eternal consequences for moral failure before a holy God. You, you just made that jump, dude. And he's like, yeah, it's a big day. I was like, yeah, dude, it's a, <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's a big day. It's a really big day. That's, that's the kind of conversations that we started having in the bar. And it was pretty, pretty normal. And, um, and it was really, it was fun and interesting. And yeah, so so one evening, um, I was cleaning the men's restroom. One guy had had too much to drink and, you know, got sick. And so it's in the men's restroom and um, cleaning everything up. And it, this will sound bizarre to some of you, to others of you. Like, oh, yeah, totally. I know how God works. But here's, this was new to this Southern Baptist kid. Um, so I um, was cleaning the men's restroom. And just out of nowhere, it's like I blink my eyes. And as soon as I close my eyes, I just saw the bar full of people worshiping Jesus. Open my eyes back up. Just as fast as I could, you blink your eyes. It, it wasn't this like parting of the sky, like, whoa. And there's like a divine voice talking. It was just blink back open. Whoa. I was like, what was it? It was just, it was, it's never, I don't, I never even heard of stuff like that. Didn't. So anyway, I finished cleaning, get up, go home, wake up Jana. It's like almost 3 a.m. when I get home from work. I'm like, hey, babe, um, this just happened. She's like, well, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know. I think God wants that bar full of people worshiping Jesus. I don't, she's like, church planting? I'm like, I guess church planting is what you call that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, so are we still going to move over to London? I was planning on moving to London to go to more school. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess we'll still go to London, but let's just keep praying for this. Maybe God wants to actually do something with that. I don't know. So I told a couple of my buddies, hey, here's this crazy thing that happened, and I think God wants to do something in that bar. I just don't know how or who or what. Just pray. And they're like, well, dude, if you want to try to plant a church, in there, let's just pray, and uh, you go to school in England, come back to the States when you're done, and we'll see what God does. I was like, oh, okay. So they were like, let's just tell a few of our friends, we'll gather in a house while you go to school. It's like, okay. So about 15 people gathered in a house for a year and some change while Jan and I were in, in London, and we would Skype in and talk to the little, I learned all this on the fly, that's called a core group, church planters. It's a core group. <laughs> so I was like, I'm meeting with a core group. I was not setting out to plan a church. Um, and we would just talk, pray, that kind of thing. And um, we got back home. And just before we came back to the States, Jana's old boss, our dentist, she worked at the dental, he, he rang us up and was like, hey, um, are, are you coming back to, to Noonan? On the, that's where we were in Noonan. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's our plan. He's like, do you have anywhere to live? I was like, nope. He's like, well, I've got a house right downtown. Uh, you can stay there for free if you want. I was like, free is totally, totally in the church planner budget. Uh, so I was like, yeah, free, free it is. So we, went, so we just came right on into our house. Uh, and that first week home, we go 
right by the bar that I used to work at. There's a big festival going on down there, and it was a Thursday evening, and my wife and I, we walked by the front of the bar, and out came uh, the owner of the bar, my friend. She walks out, and she's 37 years old, covered head to toe in tats, atheist from L.A., parents are atheists from L.A., grandparents, atheist, L.A., that long line of just, she walks out of the bar and just goes, hey, they, is this all being recorded? Yep, all right, well, then I'm not... Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll edit this. So uh, she's like, okay. She's like, can my girlfriend come? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, can we bring some more friends? I was like, yeah, you can bring as many friends as you want. <laughs> yeah, and um, so she did and um, brought some friends. And uh, about 44 people filled up our little house that we didn't have the lights even turned on in yet. And it was like, holy cow, here we go. Um, so they filled up the little living room, dining room, and a sunroom. And... I decided, I'm, all right, I'm going to share from John Share. I'm going to preach from John 1. Yeah. Some guys share or give talks. Other guys preach. All right, so more than the, more the preacher. Yeah. So anyway, so I preached from John 1 and was basically just saying, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, was God. And so you guys know the Jehovah's Witness Bible, right, says Word was a God. And so I was just showing there's a difference between our God the Lord Jesus, and how other people even talk about him. So that's, all, that's what I'm going on, going on about. And sure enough, Jehovah's Witnesses come to the house. Like I look over Amy and Jesse and Wes and Eggie, shoulders right on the couch next to me, look over there, here comes the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm like, this is not real. This, this is a freakish setup. Like what? And they just knock on the door. It's Sunday morning, like, and we didn't, nobody moved. Everybody in the house just froze like, this is so weird. You're talking, they know we're in here. And it's not like we could hide. There's 40 people in the house. There's cars everywhere. And like, oh man. So anyway, we just froze. They all left. My friend Keith started laughing. He's like, dude, did you invite the Jehovah's Witnesses to church this morning. I was like, no. He's like, you did. That's your prop. I was like, no, no. The Jehovah's Witnesses were not a prop in the launch day or whatever. So, so that afternoon, we're having a barbecue, and Amy and I are talking, and she's like, hey, that was really cool what you said about Jesus today. I was like, awesome. Thanks. Thank you for coming over. And she's like, well, you need a bigger place. That place was packed. Uh, and so I just cashed in on it right there. I was like, yeah, why don't you just give me the Alamo, the bar? Why don't you just give me the Alamo? She's like, well, it smells like cigarettes in there. And I was like, I don't care. We can deal with that. You could smoke in, in, in there at the time. And I was like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, okay, cool. And she just took the key off her little belt loop. and was like, here you go. And I was like, well, what do you want for it? And she's like, nothing. You're just going to like talk about Jesus and stuff? And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to talk about Jesus and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, cool. That, there you go. And so we just were there at the barbecue and like, she goes, do you hear that everybody? We're having church at the bar next week. There was a woo And like that was, <laughs> off we went straight to the bar next Sunday and just started preaching through the gospel of Mark. And over the last, uh, and then over a period of about three years, it grew from one service to two services to three services. And we just did that for about three years in the bar. And we bought a loft space above the bar for kids, men and offices and all that. It was it was the craziest thing. We baptized people in a horse trough in the bar. I mean, it was just like the wildest, like, I can't believe we planted a church 
in this bar. And it was, it was incredible. And we just, yeah, that's what we did. Preach, communion, worship, make disciples, start a bunch of community groups, start serving our city. That was it. And, uh, and our church was off the ground and, and running, so it grew to a few hundred people over that uh, few years. And, um, and all that's awesome. Um, but when you start befriending people that are far away from Jesus, and that, that part, that story is like, wow, that's amazing. And if it inspires anybody to want to go and do something just completely insane like that... Um, just remember that when you start reaching the broken, because Isaiah prophesied that and, and talks about the suffering servant, how he says the, the bruised reed or the, and the smoldering wick, I will not break or snuff out. When you start getting around those people, um, they show up bruised and smoldering. And then you can see why Jesus sends us his light into the world. As fun and funny and it's like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of heaviness that comes with that crowd. They're the ones that are harassed, tired and broken. They're the ones Jesus loves. And so they're the ones that show up with the stories Say, hey, can you come over and have a glass of wine with me? I know it's midnight. Uh, I just found out I got breast cancer. I don't know who to talk to. They're the ones that will tell you the story of rape when they were five. They're the ones that tell you, call you on Christmas Eve. Say, I'm drunken in the garage, and I think, I think I'm going to hang myself today, dude. Can you come over? Like the bruised ones. Those are the ones Jesus loves. And you've got to have a gospel, like what Pastor Adam was talking about a minute ago, that can come right on in and meet them where they're at. That's why we're in this room. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're preaching Jesus. That's why we're not just talking about it. But we want to preach and proclaim and be the hands and feet and mouth peace of Jesus in our city. So, especially in a, a, a city like Adelaide, the city of churches, may God give us such, such hearts that this would be the church, the city of churches that love sinners, the churches that plant churches, the churches that, that ache for more to know our Father. So if your heart's cold about all this stuff, or maybe you've been distracted over a period of time, my brother Brennan Manning writes in Abba's Child, he says, our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh when we learn where the outcast weeps. Like if your heart's cold, or maybe you're just distracted and busy in ministry and have kind of forgotten, like, why am I even in this? Or I haven't really thought a whole lot about the, the folks down the road that are hurting. Um, go spend a little time and hear their stories and find out where the outcast weeps. That'll, 
that's, God, that's the means God uses oftentimes to take a sledgehammer to hard hearts and break up all that hardness. When you, hear, when you see their tears, when you hold their hand, when you go to a funeral of those families with no hope, our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh when we learn where the outcast weeps. And that's right where Jesus wants his people. So with that as, as some of the, the, the backdrop as to why we do what we're doing, I want to just spend a few minutes um, talking about engaging culture. Okay? So there's some of that story. This will be... This will be uh, more on engaging culture. So um, can, can somebody tell me how long I have real quick? So that way I don't, I, don't, I don't want to take all day by any stretch. Or... 20 minutes, let's go. 20 minutes. Okay, so Paul Hebert, he's a missiological anthropologist guy, wrote a book called Anthropological Insights for Missionaries. He defines culture as this. It is more or less the integrated systems of ideas, feelings, and values, and their associated patterns of behavior and products shared by a people group. All right. That's a good definition. That's, that, I mean, people argue about how to even define culture, but that's a, that's a, that's a useful one. We'll go with that. Um, and as we are... Well, let me say it this way. The mission, we're on mission and we're engaging culture because our God is on mission and God engages culture. That mission is not an afterthought, but rather mission is the evidence of God is already working in this world. That is, to be adopted into the family of God, you've been adopted, yes, into a family, but it's also a missional family. It's a family that takes the good news somewhere. It's a family that does not just sit around and just have family reunions, but we're constantly excited about more people becoming part of our family. And it overflows from the fact that we actually are the children of God. And so as the children of God, our primary thing, we don't have to overcomplicate things. Here's all it is. You spend a lot of time with your father, and then you walk out into the street and say, about what typical rap is about, right? Okay, it's like, yeah, and it's ungodly and all that. And then it's back to, I have everything I could ever want to, I have nothing that I actually want. And it's this big, wild roller coaster ride of just insanity. It feels like reading Ecclesiastes. The life of Pablo, by the way, isn't talking about Pablo Picasso or Pablo Escobar. It's Kanye, he's, he's capturing some of St. Paul in reading because the rest of the world is yes and we read it like Karl Barth taught us I know Karl Barth's a bad guy whatever like you you don't interpret your bible through the text of the world you interpret the world through the text of scripture so if you're gonna look into the world this is your lens you hold this up like these are your two lenses you're like okay 1 Timothy 3, 7 says this, He, an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil, which is huge. Okay, so it, well thought of by outsiders. Right up there with not being drunk, being faithful to your wife, able to preach and teach, right on up there. It's actually a biblical qualification for the office of elder. It does not mean that the elder... Con- that every, like everybody that listens to the elder is actually converts and follows Jesus. 
It means this, that those outside the church, when they think about and you ask them about the, those that are elders, they go, yeah, yeah, I like that guy. I mean, no, I don't follow his Jesus or whatever, but yeah, they actually can speak well, which means that the elders actually been around them enough to build a relationship. And I'm cool. All right. Um, anyway, think about this. What's it going to cost you when you start in, engaging those who don't know Jesus? And doing evangelism. Uh, the best definition of evangelism, I think, comes from the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan, again, Manning, says this. The ministry of evangelization, this is brilliant, is an extraordinary opportunity of showing gratitude to Jesus by passing on his gospel of grace to others. However, the conversion by concussion method with one sledgehammer blow of the Bible after another betrays a basic disrespect for the dignity of the other and is utterly alien to the gospel imperative to bear witness. To evangelize a person, listen, to evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you, wow. You see what he's saying? If you want to evangelize somebody, it's not, it's not just announce the good news that God loves you and has sent his son, but you say it in a way that they sense it. They can see it in your tears. They hear it in your voice. They see it in your faithfulness. They acknowledge it in your joy. When you talk about Jesus, you can't help but get that silly grin off your face. It's that kind of going. They ought to walk away from the conversation, even if they remain an unbeliever going, that dude believes it. And he actually thinks God loves me. I don't even believe God's, God exists. But that guy thinks not only God exists, but he's crazy about me. And I can see it on him. So ask yourself questions, too, about comfort. Like, I'll be quick. Um, comfort. Consider this, that when you're around people who don't worship the same God that you worship, it's going to get uncomfortable. I.e., here's porn on the phone. Like, I am, boy, I'm uncomfortable. Nope, nope. It's going to cost you comfort because they don't worship your God. They worship theirs. And it's really, really uncomfortable to listen to people who don't know Jesus sing the praises of their so-called Savior. That's hard to hear. It's just comfort. Reputation. Think about your reputation. If you're going to engage people, it's going to cost you your reputation in all kinds of ways. Here's what I mean. If you're like me in that huddle of just churchgoers and going, dude, you do not belong around, quote, those people. Like, one, you forgot that you were those people. Uh, if, it's going to cost your reputation with some, some religious folks because you'll get, you'll get shot sometimes by your own team going, oh, oh, I see. You're out there now. need to come on back. You get fired from there. But then also, when you get into the environments where they don't worship Jesus, you'll get all kinds, be made fun of all the time. Oh, right, talking snake, <laughs> you're an idiot. Oh, right, resurrected from the dead. Wow, haven't seen any of those lately, but you believe in that. Amazing. Those kinds of smart aleck, you're just going to get shot from both sides sometimes. But... The real children of God are going to be rejoicing with you, and the, those that are coming into the family of God will be all the more thankful that you took a few minutes to befriend them.
Um, think too about your time. People's lives, just as you know, they don't fall apart uh, during convenient nine to five pastor hours. Like, and all the pastors laugh, like, nine to five, I wish. It's like, no, people's lives actually fall apart at 2 a.m. Hey, I'm drunk. Can you help me? Hey, we got, it's 3 a.m. We got a domestic violence thing going on. Hey, we've got, right? Saturday morning, you're in the floor with your kids, watching cartoons, eating donuts, and the phone rings, and you're going, hey, we got an issue. So-and-so did it again. People's lives do not fall apart at convenient hours. We got to keep before us, right, right, right. My time belongs to the Lord. Uh, another thing, monetarily. What's it going to cost you monetarily to be spending time with people? Like truly, especially for those of you that are on staff at church, is that even part of a line item budget for the pastor to actually go and be a part of, what, be well thought of by outsiders? That is, can you just take your friend to a ball game? And just go, yeah, dude, we got it. Can you go out to eat? Can you do that thing? Is that even part of the, the plan of the church? Like, is it, and two, is that built into the fabric of the church that in case pastor so-and-so is sitting with those people, that it's not the weirdness when a church member walks by? I'm like, oh, yeah, there's my pastor. He's fishing. Of course he is. That's awesome that it should be normal for the pastor to be around people that don't know Jesus. And so the people are like, oh, man, bless my, that, there he goes. Monetarily, um, emotionally, as we talked about stories of rape, abuse, suicide, abandonment, all that stuff, are you in a place emotionally to put yourself before broken people? Because sometimes if you show up with a ton of brokenness and that you've not really worked through yet, their brokenness can trigger more and it spiral out of control. So just think about it. Where am I at psychologically? Where am I at emotionally, really, as I consider these kinds of things? Um, family support. Does your family support you being around those people? Like, men, if... if or, or women, if, if your spouse judges or resents or is annoyed by unbelievers, then maybe, maybe evangelize your home first and really help your family understand that first. Like, this is why, babe. This is why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. Consider this, leaders. Um, if your church isn't on mission, it's usually because they're copying the pastor who isn't on mission. He just talks about it. Or they expect only the pastor to be doing it. Well, we pay him, so he should be out there, you know. <laughs> it's like, no. This is, we have a priesthood of believers. We're all called to this thing. Um, or maybe they're, just, maybe they're just waiting on a program to be rolled out or put on a snazzy website. Now we're going to engage because we got a logo down. Like, no, 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 no. We go, now, we go now. All of us. It's all of us are called to this, not just a few guys. It's for everyone. Um, last thing I want to uh, just point to, to, this, to this. Can I just take five more minutes? Okay, gosh. Sorry. Let me, uh, I even put my notes away, which means nothing. But 
All right. <laughs> I'll be quick. Acts 17, just mark it for later. Acts 17, verses 16 and 23. Just go read it. You know the famous Athens place where Paul, and what, here's what's going on. Paul's waiting on a bunch of missionary friends to catch up with him in the city, and Paul is standing there, and he says this, men of Athens, I perceive. And then he gives the great sermon. You have a temple to the unknown God, and right, all that stuff. And he's like, and I happen to know him, and it's Jesus, and he preaches the resurrection, and it's awesome. But he leads off with being perceptive. So what do you perceive? Paul lets you in on what a missionary's heart looks like. He's paying attention. And he starts quoting poets and philosophers, which would be the equivalent of our, well, I don't want to call Kanye a philosopher, but it would be like quoting somebody that everybody knows, Dr. Kanye. Um, but it, it's like, and that's what he does. That he wasn't just quoting Torah, which he was very good at. He starts quoting those guys and working it into the gospel, okay? So what do you perceive about your city, your neighborhood? So think about questions like this. Who's moving in? Who's moving out? What buildings are going up? What buildings are coming down? What businesses are thriving? What businesses aren't thriving? Start asking this question. What's the history of my city? When was my city founded? Who founded my city? What are the values of my city? Who are the heroes of my city? Who are the politicians in my city? Who are the teachers in my city? Who are the people that actually affect change in my city? Who are the people of my city listening to? How, do my, how does my city dress? How does my city act? How does my city think? Why is Jesus not appealing in my city? Why are they worshiping that God and not mine? What, and you start asking questions about the trends and the cultures and the values of the city and then go, all right, let's bring Jesus to bear on these things. And if you're just completely clueless about what's going on in your city, the people that you might not think of can give you tons of insight. For example, stop and ask a local building contractor, what's coming in? What is this that we're building? Oh, it's an apartment complex. How many people are moving in? 2,000? When? Uh, about six months from now. What's rent going to go for? It's going to go for this. Oh, that means families can afford to live in here. Okay. You just learned something significant about what's about to change and who's about to be there, and those are people that Jesus is going to save. You're like, get stuck. Like, cool. 2,000 families about to go down. It's going to happen. Don't know how? We're going to get them. You start thinking in those. That, that contractor just told you who Jesus is about to save. He didn't know it, but you did. Because you read Acts 17 and God ordains the time and the place in which men would live that we would great reach out and feel our way toward him. We, knew, we know that verse. You can ask your, your bank clerk, you know why? What's going on in our city? They handle all the money. Where's money going these days? You know who else knows a ton? Your grocery store clerk. You know why? Because she talks to everybody in the city all day long or he talks to everyone all day long. You can ask them, what's, any new stories, anything interesting going on in the neighborhood lately? Do you have anything funny? Like, yeah, there's this one guy in here, and he was, you know, you can start collecting information about your city, and you don't have to be a sociologist. This is just asking people what's going on and being perceptive with a gospel lens. 
So with that being said, let's just pray and we'll keep rolling. Father, we love you. Thank you for our time. And um, would you help us to exegete our city? Think uh, biblically about our cities so that we can bring the gospel to bear in real, relevant, and contextualized ways that just make sense. Jesus, we cannot do this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would continue to cultivate this kind of mind and heart in us, that your name would be great. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys.